My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Paul Furiga hosts a great podcast called Storylines Live. Paul, tell us what you talk about on the show. The most important story any business owns, it's capital S story. The narrative that answers why someone would buy from, work for, invest in, or partner with that business. In each Storylines Live episode, we explore business storytelling and interview business leaders and marketing experts about their capital S stories. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? Go to wordwriteagency.com forward slash storylines or find the show at marketingpodcast.net. Or search for Storylines Live wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering... Yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino, and as always, I am here with Jeff Livingston. What's up, my friend? How are you, my friend? How's it going today? It's going all right. How about you? Good. They still let me come home. It's always a plus. That's always a plus. It's it's whether or not they let you out again once you're there. That's the that well, that's you, the trick. Usually, after a couple of hours, they're like, "Please go away." <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know the feeling. I yeah. know the feeling. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, since we were last together a couple of weeks ago, there's been a lot of big news. I feel like we As say always. that every time we As kick always. off. Every time we kick off, we say the same thing. But there have actually been some pretty big moves. I think since last time we yeah. we we published an episode, our good friend Elon Musk, his company XAI, introduced their. OpenAI competitor Grok, which is trained on tweets, Train, or trained on or tweets yeah. or whatever. I mean, so you know it's, it sucks. You, you know, and it's <laughs> and and you need a paid Twitter account, which almost nobody except for trolls has. Um, yeah. And you need a paid Twitter account in order to even use the thing when it actually becomes available to everybody. So uh, that was kind of that was Elon's big news. Um, right. I think you know across the world, uh, uh, Kaifu Lee, who uh, is a, a badass, badass computer scientist, couple yeah. time best selling author, big thinker about artificial intelligence. His company, O One AI, which he launched just seven or so months ago, immediately became a billion-dollar unicorn, just released their first open-source large language model. Right. Um, I'm not going to even attempt to remember. It's a string of letters and numbers in the name, I believe. Uh, right. But clearly, he's going head-to-head with Meta for Llama 2 in the in the open-source space. But also, you know, his bigger ambition, of course, is to rival OpenAI and essentially be China's OpenAI, the Let's model trained. Somebody does it. Jeez. Somebody. I don't know whether it's good or bad that it comes out of China, but someone's got to got got to kind of rival open AI. Um, and this one's interesting because, of course, it's trained on data in both English and Chinese languages. So you have that built-in multilingual effect right out of the gate, which is very different from a, you know an American-centric 
uh, large language model like like a GPT four. That's right. That's right. And what are we going to do about our superiority complex now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm superior to no one, Jeff. No one at all. But of course, not to be outdone. On November 6th, our friend Sam Altman hosted his first ever developer day right. uh, where OpenAI announced a whole host of things, essentially, again, sucking all of the air out of the conversation. Grok was the big news for a day, a joke for a half day, and then we were back to talking about OpenAI and everything they're doing. Some of their big announcements included the release of what they're calling ChatGPT for turbo so they're right. updated gpt4 model it's not gpt5 yet but right. it has a massive context window uh allowing you to effectively upload a book's worth of information in your prompt and which is big competitive news. with quad which absolutely which is really has had that kind there. of capability for a while right. um also um sort of refreshing the training data set so the model is Thank now trained God. through april of 2020 not September of 21. So making so it much more. Right. Making so it much more it. <laughs> you know, fresh and current. Um, and at the same time, I know they also made some improvements into the API calls to make those cheaper for ChatGPT Plus users who have access to things like Dolly 3 in the interface. They've made that more seamless. They've made web browsing more seamless. So there have been a bunch of improvements to the basic open AI chat GPT and GPT four experience, whether you're a developer or a user, but the big, big news that everybody's talking about is um, what open AI is calling now GPTs plural, essentially right. the ability to pick a minions for some right. reason, <laughs> right? Like, ah, banana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but essentially it is the ability for anybody to create through that simple conversational interface that ChatGPT is all about, their own custom trained, super focused ChatGPTs right. um, and release them to the world. And that's really what we're going to focus on in today's episode. Jeff, I'm going to let you get into the details on that in just 30 seconds. But first, I want to remind everybody, as always, you know, if you love us, love us right, go ahead and rate and review and like and share and comment and do all the great stuff that people love to do on social media. And of course, on any of the pod services where you listen, so, uh, such as, for example, Spotify and Apple podcasts and all those good guys. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button and do all those kind of good things there as well. So with that, we're going to dive right in. Jeff, why don't you break down exactly what we're talking about with OpenAI's GPTs? Sure. But one quick thing before we dive in with this whole Grok OpenAI thing, which... <laughs> I mean, a lot of people also saw the Sam Altman takedown of Grok on X. And uh, obviously, it's just another Silicon Valley moment where these, I don't know, these larger-than-life billionaire CEOs of these tech giants just take pot shots at one another like they're NBA all-stars, you know, or, talking or trash on the court. Or right. petulant middle schoolers, right? Right, which is fine <laughs> if we're watching wrestling, but we're not. This is big business, and it's affecting a lot of people's lives. And frankly, for a company of OpenAI stature and what they're trying to be, I, I personally found it to be really distasteful and annoying, and it just adds to my general dislike for the company. I find them to be very arrogant. It makes me root for their competitors. I really I, I really feel like OpenAI has an opportunity to do great things for the world and for uh, the technology industry and for business in general, you know? But stuff like that, that's just, to me, it's a distraction. It doesn't add to the conversation or help people really adapt AI. So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, lowering yourself to, quite frankly, another tech billionaire Airs, um, sort of stature and uh, approach and doing it in his backyard of X and, you know, right. kind of, you know, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's now like Sam Altman, Zuck and Elon are like the three stooges, 
you know? <laughs> and the really question is, which one's Mo? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe they're all Mo. Maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. I don't know. I definitely think that, uh, <laughs> I definitely think that Elon's curly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Right. All right, all right. Right, right before you dive right. in, uh, something that one of our listeners reminded me before we we get into this, and I'll probably do this a couple of times through the course of the show, um, because this world moves so quickly, and because AI is changing almost by the minute, it is worth reminding everybody exactly when we are recording this, which is on November fourteenth. It's about one twenty in the afternoon right now. Because anything we say, the impressions we have about all of this stuff is based on what we know and what we've experienced right now it's about a week after the release of gpts and they may be an entirely different game in another week so it's true a lot of news this week for example just on when artificial general intelligence which is basically sentient ai is going to be available which i i don't even want to get into that yeah that's a whole different hype cycle speaking of hype cycle what exactly are GPTs, right? Like, are they minions? Exactly. Are they like little gold eggs built from the big egg? I don't know. According to OpenAI, and I'm just going to read from the press release here so that we can start diving into this a little more deeply. I And to be clear, folks, the reason why we're bringing this up and we're talking about GPTs in depth for an episode is that we think that while GPTs themselves may not have large-scale implications for the marketing world, that the technology approach does. And we see this being something that should be digested and thought about not only from uh, what this company is doing, but from a MarTech stack development and the ability to create your own AIs at will. So with that, GPTs are a new way for anyone to create a tailored version of ChatGPT to be more helpful in their daily life at specific tasks at work or at home and then share that creation with others. Now, there's a lot of pie in the sky there about how great it is. And the reality is, is that this isn't really a consumer type of application because it's at a minimum for people to have plus at $30 a month or enterprise at thousands of dollars a month or more, um, depending on the size of your enterprise. And so with that in mind, we're talking about the top tier of users for GPTs. Uh, now, other people can access them, but only if they are published publicly. Um, if you're an enterprise, for example, you could publish it for your enterprise, but lock it down so that other people can't use it. What's really interesting to me about this, Greg, is that we have a workflow now where somebody can talk with ChatGPT through either the voice prompting, uh, basically, hey, Siri, tell ChatGPT. I mean, obviously, you don't say, hey, Siri, you talk directly. Channel ChatGPT shortcuts with Siri. Wow. wow. That was awesome. She's really listening. Huh? I got way too much AI going on here. Let me turn off Siri here. Goodbye, Siri. Boop. <laughs> For those of you that are not watching, oh, well. Uh, but, you know, all jokes aside, you know, the thing is, is now you can interface and create a low-code, no-code GPT, uh, basically something that's going to do whatever you want it to, shrink-wrapped. You can get... Uh, a little bit into it, but what ends up happening is it starts saying like, hey, you may want to hire a developer. Uh, And I know because I created my own IG caption builder. Um, And so, you know, the thing that I found with it was it had a lot of filters built into it. It was very homogenized. Uh, Anytime I got into anything questionable, uh, OpenAI's ethic bots came in. So it's been trained and conditioned to PC world which is fine. I understand why that's there. But if you're, for example, human rights advocacy fighting against the sex business or the uh, sex trade, or uh, maybe you're fighting against uh, the wars that are out there or whatever it might be, like all that kind of activism, maybe you're an anti-gun advocate, you're not going to be able to use this. So uh, any issue that's anywhere unsafe in any manner, OpenAI's ethic bots get in there, 
So it's got limited use for anybody that's interested in doing something like that. And access has been questionable, right? Like you weren't able to access it. You weren't able to build a bot. And I don't know. I mean, eventually I was. I don't know how much of my problem had to do with the fact that OpenAI had an outage. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, what if there was a denial of service attack or something. Uh, But they had an outage of some kind the day after they announced all this stuff. So that might have been affecting me. But it did take a couple of days beyond that point before I could actually create a bot. And I went in and I created a bot and it was fun. I, you know, tinkered. I wasn't doing something particularly practical. I did sort of a language translation, language sort of tutor kind of bot. What Um, language? uh, any language. And I didn't, well, any language that OpenAI is able to process through the GPT. And it actually was kind of, it was fun to do. It was fun to use. I didn't upload any proprietary data or in, 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 sources of nope. information. I don't feed ChatGPT. <laughs> so it's basically just using the information that it has. And I instructed it, you know, set the instructions up for it to do a, a range of different things from suggest vocabulary to engage people in a conversation to suggest pronunciations, things like that. And it was kind of fun. I, I don't know any language besides English to any extent beyond like. Donde style baño is about as much Spanish as I remember from seven years of Spanish. Um, and that's the only language. And I, well, I, I, that's not true. I took two days of German um, and I took two semesters of Japanese. Uh, but I can't read either of those languages, so well, I, I wouldn't think you be can able read to. Anyway, but. Uh, yeah, English is, t- is tough for me. So I wouldn't know exactly how accurate this bot is but it seems reasonably accurate yeah yeah. and and it's definitely it was a fun experience i i thought it was fun making the bot too i did an ig instagram creator i do a lot of i post a lot of creative work on instagram just for fun and uh you know to me the hashtag creator was okay the hashtags weren't very relevant perhaps they were still in 21 data instead of 24 data or they haven't figured out a way to parse good hashtags it still hallucinates and makes its own uh but you know at this point in instagram's life any hallucinations probably still exist out there anyway uh but long story short the actual hashtag creator was about as good as gpt's writing and so if you're a chat gpt fan this is going to work for you right this is going to allow you to create little bots and little task rabbits that are going to help ease your workflow and it'll be the ones that specifically you use it for like one of my favorite ones is to summarize something right Mm -hmm. like i think i think that's one of the best uses of these llms just generally um i think another key aspect of the announcement as we break it down is that all these different apps if you would or baby gpts or minions are going to be available on uh the Minion store on OpenAI's ChatGPT Plus uh, or, or website. Right. But more importantly, it is a store, all jokes aside. Again, I keep saying that. I just can't help but poke fun at this thing. Um, the, the, this is a big play, though, in the sense that there's now a store, and it's not the same thing as the plugins. It's a little bit right. more accessible, right? Um, and it's a huge step forward. Obviously, there's a lot of implications from this, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons to rush it out. Perhaps we talked a lot about Grok, and then I, I don't think it's a coincidence that two days later or a day later, Altman's having his little uh, WrestleMania on X with um, right our, our good friend yeah. Elon. Right. right? Did he rush it out to suck the air out of the room as it did from Grok? I know there's a lot of rumors about Google's Gemini right. being incredibly powerful, and, and you really gotta like how that Google's just like no. We've learned our lesson. We rushed Bard. We're not going to do that right. this time. You know, but you know the the sense is that it is relatively imminent, um, and the rumors are that it will be incredibly, incredibly powerful. It so has did, to be. Did, they has to be. They're not going to get a third right? chance, right? Right. So, you know, is this was this Altman's shot to get it out <gasps> before? 
Gemini and after Grok and it just shot into that window and you know maybe it wasn't quite ready for prime time right maybe they were originally gonna announce it as a developer announcement at this and then roll it out maybe but they probably right. thought it was far enough along that they could just get away with it to steal some thunder right because i know a lot of people did find it a little bit kludgy kind of problematic you know in my Doesn't case work it took well, a while right, right? marshall kirkpatrick hated it right uh you know, time to AI, that yeah. guy. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the store, as you're talking about the store, which I think on one level people have kind of classified as the iPhone app store moment, which I you know, I classified plugins as the iStore app store, iPhone <laughs> app store moment. Well, I don't maybe even that know was the first try at the iPhone yeah, app store and it right. failed because it they failed, locked it yeah. in, right? And I don't and, know, I don't know what's even happening with plugins anymore. Are they gone now? Does this replace those? I don't really know what or the did strategy. They just get rolled into it, right? Right. No idea. Um, but you know, there are some folks like CNET and other analysts and whatnot t- <laughs> talking about this as the App Store moment. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Like, and again, one of their bigger problems, generally speaking, is the exclusivity that they're but- trying to to drive because they. Let's just be clear. They have a very confusing business model. Are they an yes. enterprise company? Are they a B2B company? Are they a solopreneur company? Or are they a consumer company? Yeah. And the answer is yes, right? Right now, it's right. yes to all those things, and they right. don't do any of it well. I'd also throw a caveat out there that I think that OpenAI has trained us that they have shitty quality on launch, and that basically they are not high quality. Um, they roll things out half baked. Sometimes they announce and don't roll things out. Um, and they've, their premise is to be first. That's their yeah. game. We're yeah. first, we're first, we're first. It may not be great, but we're first and you'll get first access. Yeah. I also think, you know, it's funny because they, they've certainly mastered the hype game, right? They're real, they're good at being first. They're good at hyping the hell out of that. And we've spoken on a number of our episodes about how masterful they are at marketing. Right. But when you look at this, it's also how bad they are at branding, right? You know, a company named OpenAI that is obviously not open in any way, shape or form, especially when they're going up against open source. Maybe they were at one point open, but now they're very close. So the company name is wrong, right? Their models are GPT-3, GPT-4, GPT-Turbo. Okay, so far. They build chat GPT on top of that, and then GPTs on top of that. It's like, well, what do you mean by GPTs now? Because everything else has been named GPT. It's Not a consumer name. It's not like they, right, they have not really thought through, um, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, how it takes off after the hype, uh, whether it catches on with consumers and whether it catches on with users in general, at least within the world of plus and enterprise. You know, I'm okay with the idea of making certain advanced features available only to paying customers, right? That's the the freemium model that a lot of SaaS companies use. Sure. But, but if you're trying to be the store. But if right, exactly. If you're what trying to be say. the store, you want everybody and their mother to access that. Right. Thing. And I think it's also there's a little bit of a to your point again about enterprise versus consumer b2b in the middle prosumer somewhere in the middle too is that there seem to be two divergent use cases for this one particular product one is anybody and their mother can create a publicly facing GPT that does whatever it does, you know, picks your baby name or tutors you in languages or captions your Instagram photos or whatever and make that available to the public. And then you've got this other very different use case of something that I might create, whether I'm a, a consumer or an enterprise using my own workflows and potentially my own data to improve my personal productivity 
or my personal effectiveness that I may not want anybody in the world to see or even know about. Right. And those are such different use cases. And there's such a, to me, a lack of clarity around right. where they want to win because it's really and they, difficult they to win they, at both. They don't know. They right? don't know. Right. They have bad product marketing. They have horrific product marketing. And what that means is they don't have to find user benefits. They don't have to find user problems. And like a lot of Silicon Valley companies, they're basically a technology in search of a problem or right. a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And, you know, I, I do have a problem that this thing resolves, uh, and at least in a theoretical way. And we're going to talk about that, which is the whole low code, no code thing. And I think that's the real value of this. It illustrates it can be done. Right. Uh, but right. before we get into that, I mean, I think from an actual chat GPT plus GPT's open AI marketing strategy, I think it's crap. You know, it's yeah. it's the usual game for them. I, I mean, I personally think the real value is small, medium enterprises that aren't going to be able to afford a, uh, a, you know, a data scientist to go out and create their own models that now all of a sudden they can interface with this thing and do things. Yeah. Yeah. And right. And. You know, I'm also thinking about, I think you're right about that. Um, I don't know how successful a store for everybody's sort of easily barfed out GPT is going to do, right? I mean, you know, it's like a, this is the MP3 player to the real deal. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to work. Like, sooner or later, somebody's going to come out with something that consumers actually want, right? Right. Yeah. And I also think if you think about this and you think about how easy it's been to create a GPT now, right? It's how simple it was. I spent, if I spent half an hour. Right. Um, Me too. It was a lot. And the only reason I spent half an hour is I was being finicky. Right, I was and like, you're messing with the and, functionality, right? Right, and I'm investigating, like, you know, w you know, what if, what if I don't like this um, image, avatar image it created for me? What if I write a really long description? What if I shorten this? What if I change the way it behaves when it does that? Right, which is probably a lot more effort than the average person would put in, right? Right. Um, but but we, but you knew we were going to talk about it, so sure, of course, right? And of course, I want to know. You know, that's always been my belief as a marketing practitioner is I want to be hands-on with any tool that any of my clients might potentially be thinking about, asking about, or experimenting with, right? So <clears throat> I knew I wanted to play with it, but imagine a million, two million, 10 million, a hundred million you's and me's, right? There might be a hundred thousand Instagram caption generators right now, oh. right? It's an easy, obvious you, use, right. right? How do you put that into a store and get people to pick the one that doesn't suck or the one that sucks less? How do you rate and rank them? How do you validate them? How do you verify them? Right. That's what made, although the Apple apps, you know, the Apple iPhone app store is still a little bit of a grab bag, right? There's a lot of scammy, <laughs> you know, games for kids where you but have to mature, do like, right? But it's matured some, but very quickly Apple had to figure out how do we control what makes its way into the store right. to ensure a process. I know right. I created a couple apps for Absolutely. It. I mean, I worked with years and years and years ago, we worked with a client who had an an Apple you know, iPhone, you know, app, they were a, a location based, you know, kind of check in service competed with, you know, Foursquare and those kinds of services back in the day didn't do very well. But it was a fairly onerous process to get that app listed in the store. And it took a while. And there were some technical things that the client had to change in order to get the app listed. Like right now, it just kind of seems like they kind of raised their arms and said, we're introducing an app store. But again, to, to your point about poor product marketing, they haven't clearly defined how's that store going to work? What kinds of 
fees will be associated? What will you pay for one of these things? What's the developer share of that? And they, you know, they've created this sort of AI influencer feeding frenzy. Yeah, where all of these like glad handers and hype shouters are talking about this is how great. It's anyone wonderful. can it's be flawed, but it's great. Right, and it's any, wonderful, right. but it's flawed. And how <laughs> anyone can create these things and become an AI zillionaire on the back of app sales, which didn't happen with the iPhone App Store. No. A very small percentage of organizations got rich, and they were the ones that actually had a strategy and a. Big business and developers a budget and and created something unique and different everybody else fell down into the long tail and the long tail despite the fact it inspired my book 10 something years ago it was a big big idea for a book nobody should read in 2023 everybody but um, (laughs) if it's signed um, and you know but it inspired such a marketing movement right this whole idea of the long tail back when we all got got into blogging back in the day, but the riches never aggregated to the long tail creators. Like no. and they still haven't. It's, you know, always the ones, the couple that rise to the top. So this is probably an aside and not really the point of, of our episode here, but if you're listening to AR in, AI influencers who are shouting at you about how much money you can make by being first to market to launch your GPT. Oh man, it ain't going to happen. Tell I'm sorry to be prop the business is working out too. <laughs> <Right>. will you? <laughs> yeah. you know, it ain't going to happen. Almost right. nobody is going to get there. Right. I mean, unless you have access to proprietary data and you feel comfortable using your proprietary data it, to train, your GPT, and maybe if you've got a big brand, right? If you're Nike and you're doing like a fitness planner, maybe you've got a shot. If you're Jeff Livingston doing a fitness planner, as buff as you may be, my friend, I don't think you've got that same shot. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there goes my running training AI business. <laughs> um, what occurs to me while we're talking, and I, I know we're going to move on soon um, and take a break, but, you know, in thinking about this and the way we chatted about this, I think, too, over the past year, we've seen a lot of open AI announcements, and then we've seen other AI companies do it better, right, which is the classic uh, technology way of things where somebody's first, but then somebody does it better that dominates or starts taking market share. And I think we've seen this with even just text writing um, and also with searches with the LLMs and the competitiveness that we've seen from some of them like Claude. I wonder if what they've done with this kind of half-baked approach where they they realize they have something it's basically three quarters form, but they didn't take it to the, they took it to the red zone, but they didn't bring it into the end zone. Forgive the football metaphor, but it is that time of year, right? They didn't take it in. They didn't finish the job. Um, If they've left the door open, right? And to your point, whether it's Google or if it's Amazon or Apple, who supposedly has an AI and they're just not talking about it, which is very classic Apple. We're not bringing it out till it's time to be out. We don't care how many years you've been on the market. Um, sooner or later, somebody's going to come out and just maybe take this from them before they even have an opportunity to make it happen. I mean, we see AI moving in, in, in years in AI time or months in reality. I, I just wonder if they've opened the door for somebody that already has a store to just say, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that and do it with everything we've already learned about stores. Maybe, you know, and I think this even goes back to the original launch of ChatGPT and something we were saying back then. And I know others have said it too. It's not By like way, we're, we're coming up on a year, right? I November know, 30th. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> you know, that this, you know, sort of idea that, ChatGPT wasn't even the product; it was the promotion in a way. Right. Let right? us show you our awesome GPT algorithm, right. which we want to you sell know, to your business. You know, we we know right. We know what their ultimate 
aspiration is because already you know for anybody who's not been following the news altman is already talking about going back to probably microsoft for billions more in investment because he's got his eye on artificial general intelligence and again we can talk about how viable that is how desirable that is how imminent that might be etc etc but that's what he has his eye on so is all of this just for him like you know table stakes or you know kind of playing around with the tools and the toys and the tech and making things available to soften a market to your point it's also you know he probably couldn't care less if you or i are using chat gpt no, even for 20 bucks or 30 bucks a month what he cares about is are the enterprises buying into it big time Right. right. You know, so all of this stuff might just be, you know, ways to make noise in the market and whether it works, whether it's successful, whether there's a strategy, whether there's a business model, whether it makes money may be entirely beside the point. But I don't know. Right. But I think, you know, as you said earlier in this episode, um, there's an implication here that's bigger than GPTs. And it's sort of a sign of the way in which the world is moving. And it's moving in that direction in part, not exclusively, but in part because of artificial intelligence and all of the stuff going on with generative AI. So we're going to come back after a break. We'll hear from our sponsors. And then, Jeff, let's dive into this new world that's opening up on the heels of announcements like the GPTs. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Paul Furiga hosts a great podcast called Storylines Live. Paul, tell us what you talk about on the show. The most important story any business owns, it's capital S story. The narrative that answers why someone would buy from, work for, invest in, or partner with that business. In each Storylines Live episode, we explore business storytelling and interview business leaders and marketing experts about their capital S stories. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? Go to wordwriteagency.com forward slash storylines or find the show at marketingpodcast.net or search for Storylines Live wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. Okay, everybody, we're back for break. And now we're going to get into the low-code, no-code implications. For those of you that aren't familiar with what low-code, no-code means, it basically is that developer world that we all have to deal with, whether it's for just simple websites, all the way through to creating programming, mobile apps, uh, and in the case of AI, data science. Um, and with that, you know, you often have to pay a lot of money for developers and developers are probably one of the bigger barriers facing marketing in general and businesses in general. I think there's a reason why you've seen the Fortune 1000 adapt AI pretty much wholesale over the past five years, but it has not trickled down to small and medium enterprises. Thus, the whole excitement about the GPT and generative AI boom. It made AI accessible because nobody can afford these guys. Nobody can afford to hire coders. And there's, uh, you know, the whole uh, HR crisis that that tech uh, talent has caused. So with that in mind, imagine a marketing department that you're no longer beholden to developers. You can literally talk to your bot or do drag and drop 
types of pull screens and just map APIs together like Zapier, for example. Um, this is kind of where we're going with AI. This is kind of a, a pie in the sky dream that's become more and more realistic this year. For example, when GitHub made its big generative AI announcement, I think it was back in May about uh, GitHub Copilot, all of a sudden AI developers had their own ability to use a low-code, no-code platform that would code for them. Um, and in essence, what GPTs do is they code automations on ChatGPT for you so you don't have to do it. It's an if this, then that, make a call for me to the GPT engine and voila. Um, and that gets me to kind of what uh, Bill Gates his reaction to GPTs was, and I think this was really kind of the big lightning bolt moment for me when I read his uh, reaction. Um, and it's a, a true digital assistant. You know, we're, we're heading to that place where we can literally talk to an AI and say, man, I've got this problem. Can you create a script to fix it? And it's kind of like the whole Star Trek thing. Computer, can you do this, right? And that's really awesome. Um, let's hear what Bill Gates says about it. Again, reading another quote, to create a new app or service, you won't need to know how to write code or do graphic design. You'll just tell your agent what you want. It will be able to write the code, design the look and feel of the app, create a logo, publish the app to an online store, and the launch of GPTs this week offers a glimpse into that future where non-developers can easily create and share their own assistance. I love that. I mean, obviously, yep. he's got a vested interest because he's the, one of the largest shareholders in Microsoft, if not the. Um, I don't know anymore. And obviously, Microsoft has a stake in OpenAI. That in mind, I, I do like the fact that he didn't really loud GPTs is great. He just said, hey, this is an example of what could be coming down the road. Yeah. A very true science fiction. I think that that's accurate and i think that that's really the tremendous future that i got excited about when i played with the gpt and found how easy it was and i just made me wish i could do that with every technology problem i have um, every instance that i want to scream and rip out my eyebrow hair since i don't have any hair on my head uh and uh like literally integrate hubspot better with uh, my mailing program because I don't like HubSpot's right. mailing program and wish that I could integrate all the different tools that I love and, you know, make these things work better and put together my customer journey profile in an easy manner where all the data was reconciled and made sense. And, you know, what Twitter or sorry, X says and what Instagram says matches what Google says, which matches what my CRM says. And that I can see the value of doing some things and also the valueless waste of effort I have in other areas. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that AI promises us. I think that it's coming. Uh, and I think that the ability to access agents like this makes it realistic, not just for big companies anymore, but also for small and medium enterprises. And that to me is really exciting. I think what whatever side of business you're in for almost everybody listening on this phone, the market tech stack, if when this becomes reality, is going to get a lot easier. Your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, also, I just want to mention really quickly that uh, for anybody who wants to read Bill Gates's full note about this, of course, we will have that link in the show notes on the website, nobrainerpodcast.com. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned HubSpot. I mean, obviously, they're a key player in the MarTech stack for a lot of organizations. But Dharmesh Shah, one of their co-founders, has a very similar vision about agents, uh, he ha he's just launched. He's being a little bit closed mouthed about exactly what he's doing. He's calling it his like side hustle, uh, but he owns the URL agent.ai, which he's also calling the world's most expensive newsletter domain because right now he's not delivering any product or service, but he is starting to talk pretty actively about a world in which AI agents are deployed in a way that allows us to be more effective and more efficient. And I think going back to Bill Gates, one of the interesting sort of 
contrast that Gates made in his note was between the bot and the agent. That right now, when we look at ChatGPT, or we look at even a lot of the GPTs we're making, we look at a lot of the tools we're using today, even the more sophisticated tools in many cases that are Gen AI based, the writing assistants, the um, you know the the image generators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're not agents; they're bots. They basically carry out our will to the letter of the law as we've defined it. Um, they're essentially fancy clippy, right? right. And they're, they're automations, really. Right. They're very you know? simple automations, and they don't act on our behalf. They act based on the prompts that we issue to get them to act. And, uh, and what makes them AI, quote unquote, is only in the sense that they perform tasks that we require thought by right. a human being. Exactly. And, you know, but that the, that the agent is fundamentally different, you know, so where today, if you want, let's say, a logo design, you would have to explain to an image generator or an AI logo service or whatever, essentially exactly what you're looking for. I want a logo with this kind of font and that kind of iconography. These are my colors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas an agent, you might you might just be able to say, I need a logo for my consulting business. And it might ask you questions, but effectively it's going to go out and design logos the same way a human designer might. But And if it's a well-trained digital assistant, right, that actually knows you. So what I mean by knows you has been trained based right. on your predilection to like certain things and dislike other things. It's likely to come back with something that it thinks you will probably like. Right. And, you know, that's, I mean, I think a relatively, I think even a relatively simplistic, but easy, obvious example of how an agent might work. But of course, there are agents who might schedule our day for us, agents who might make appointments and cancel appointments for us, agents who might ultimately make purchases for us, which is something that I know our friend Jeremiah Ouyang talks about fairly extensively. The other side of AI for marketing is a world in which consumers have agents that essentially act as middlemen between the buyer and the seller and make decisions because they understand our predilections, our interests, our likes, our needs, our patterns, our habits. And I talked about that it was like pre-COVID in 2018. It was one of my five trends for right. marketing 2025 that I delivered at Brand Manage Camp back in 2018 was this idea that one back day AI day. would make the purchases for us. And Jeremiah has been talking about this now extensively. Uh, there are a couple of authors out of, I think, Forrester who have written a book called something like when machines are customers or something like that. You know, this idea of that, that, that AIs that know us as well as we know ourselves can actually take actions, not just take orders. And right. I think that's incredibly interesting and it's coming, right? And if any of us can build an AI agent without needing to know how to code, that's like... That's yeah. Then the gloves are off. Now I wonder if going back to our earlier conversation about AGI is that the moment where they, they where they declare AGI? I wouldn't well think that that's truly AGI, but I could see right. Silicon Valley I coming see, out. I could that. see Silicon Valley hyping that as AGI. Right. Um, totally. Yeah, you know, I think I saw something this week too. Some like little minor story where Sam Altman. I think it was the same story about right, Altman the board. wanting yeah. his multi-billion dollars for the next you know investment, and yeah, that he wants to establish an internal board who How will nice determine and declare when his. AIs have reached general intelligence. It's like, what? So yeah. you're going to tell us when you have AGI and we're going to trust that that's AGI, which nobody can even agree fundamentally on what AGI actually is, what it looks like, you know, beyond a general sense that it will be as good or better than human capability at just, many, if not most things. Just but another example what does that of a mean? billionaire megalomaniac 
graduated from Stanford sitting on top of the world thinking he knows better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Just another example of Sam playing that role. And by the way, do you see uh, the morning show, the one with John Hamm on it? No, no. Giant? Oh, you got to watch uh, season three. It's really good. He plays a delicious tech giant villain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so many times in Hollywood now, tech giants are turning into these villains, these tropes. They're either, right? They're either, onion, right, right? They're, they're either villains or they're comic relief or some combination of the two, right? Yeah. Like even if you remember back to Silicon Valley, right? You're like the hapless startup guys and then you had and you know, everybody. And then they grow up and become Sam <laughs> Right. Or like, you know, the, you know, like kind of like the jackass running around, you know, driving around in the Ferrari. And oh like, my like, God. It's like, you know, any of these tech billionaires are so easy to lampoon, uh, but that doesn't mean we should necessarily be laughing at them because they we just you know, want to be them, right? Right. In oh, some well, ways. Well, actually, what but, would we be like if we yeah, were them? I, I I hate to see it. But um, but uh, whether you want to be them or or not, you have to acknowledge that they have they a have tremendous power. amount of sway over the way yeah. the world uses technology and ultimately the way the world operates. Right. Um, in terms of, they basically killed an industry. I was just going to say GPTs. <laughs> Bye bye, Jasper. <laughs> I don't know about that, but they have, in fact. I mean, I think I know you. You shared an article, and again, we will share this article um, in the show notes. Um, but I'd love for you to kind of break it down a little bit and explain. But it does appear that the many, many companies who thought wrapping GPT four with some kind of thin layer of functionality code, right? who thought these, all these thousands of organizations who thought that was a business got a warning shot at a minimum across the bat. Oh, they're, they're part of my French. They are F you, do you know what? E E D. <laughs> I mean, they are so pooched, man. They're done. I mean, the reality was that a lot of venture capital firms actually in the first and second quarter were quick to fund companies like yep. that that were wrapped up GPTs. And suddenly they kind of got some smelling sauce along the way. And I think it was towards the end of the second quarter where venture capitalists started asking deeper questions about whether or not this is a real business. Right. And what we've seen with this announcement is it's not because this is the worst version of GPTs that we're going to see. And there are going to be competitors. And the reality is, is that say you have a shrink wrapped version of GPT that does uh, uh, PDF reading or whatever it might be, unless it's domain specific to an enterprise with all the, basically the bells and whistles they want with it, like security functionality, trained on their industry, trained with a database that's specific to their business, uh, whether it's their own or something they purchased or got or acquired in some way, then it's irrelevant. You know, basically it's something that anybody and their mother can do. And that's, that's massive. And it's also, by the way, not the first time this has happened in recent tech history, uh, we will call it Twitter for this, but a lot of people used to create their Twitter apps, right? And then Absolutely. suddenly Twitter would announce the functionality and kill their business. Right. And we saw that over and over again in the late aughts and the early 2010s. And to me, this is just a replay of that. You know, yeah. it's like, whoops, you, you, you hooked yourself to a system rather than a problem. And now you're right. gone. Right. And, you know, that's the challenge that, a lot of technology companies have had and a lot of brands, whether they're technology companies or not, have had over the course of time that when you become overly, overly reliant on one company's platform, um, you run the risk that that particular company now holds all the cards. Right. And as soon as they decide to change their rules, for example, about access to their data or their API, Right. Or they launch an in-house version of the thing you do, and it's easier for Sweet the deck. customer, the consumer, the buyer to do the single-shot solution and get both things from one place. 
you have a problem. I mean, and certainly all the tweet decks in the world learned that lesson. Even brands who became so reliant on things like Facebook apps and right. then saw Mark Zuckerberg throttle traffic to those apps after the after the brand paid good money to develop them. Then Zuck said, okay, it's great that you've all followed my lead. You did what I told you to do. Now I'm going to charge you to get people to even look at those apps. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a second. We just built them because you said that was the way we, that was our way to market on your platform. And oh, it Zuck's is. Like, this but is now you got to pay me. It's like, this yeah, is, yeah. it's like, it's crazy. I have to plug in right now or we're going to lose our feed. So uh, <sighs> please go ahead and make some noise while I do that. And uh, I will be back in about three seconds. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, the reality is, is, that that codependence and that's what it is a codependence on a platform creates a massive problem um and codependency in real life creates real problems for people too <clears throat> right. by the way <laughs> but i mean all jokes aside the thing uh, God, i think that's the fifth time i said that i apologize people i'll work on that for the next episode but the reality is <laughs> with this thing in particular i think what you're seeing is that a lot of people that basically jumped onto the generative AI bandwagon without thinking through the business plan or saying, I'm going to go into business, I'm inspired by this. Let me figure out what my business plan is, are now suddenly going to hit the skids. Yeah. Many of them before they even got started. Yep, absolutely. I think you're right. Yeah, it's, it's sad. Uh, but yeah. it is uh, business one one. It is. So, it is what it is. Yeah. Should we actually? We're going to have a short episode this week. Should we hit we the brainer? Might. No brainer. Let Let's do it. Uh, should I hit the brainer? Um, You're the smart one. Come I, on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but the no brainer is so obvious that you know. I know that I need that. <laughs> but uh, but the you know I think I'm going to build on what you just said in a way right that. Uh, this is a running theme across all of the episodes. If you've been with us from the start, if you've been patient and suffered through the 19 or so hours of content that we've created since kicking the show off, what, six months ago or whatever it was, is that if you, whether you are a brand marketer, an agency, or an entrepreneur looking to build a business in this complicated, fast-moving, often frustrating space. I think OpenAI's introduction of GPTs is yet another reminder that you absolutely must go back to the business fundamentals. You need to be solving a real problem. You need to develop a real use case. You need to understand how to measure and um, or define and measure the benefits that this technology brings to your business or to the people who do business with your business, your customers, right? So if you're a marketer, there might be a couple of different ways to think about it, right? One might be that this might give you a way to sort of create a new and different touch point with your customers, but then you've got to build something using GPT or ultimately as part of a larger, more broadly kind of impactful no-code movement that actually matter to your customers. If you're, uh, or you've got to build something that works for you internally that enhances your productivity and so on and so forth. And if you're a technology company, if all you're doing is wrapping somebody else's large language model with some thin layer of functionality without a whole lot of thought or strategy or business benefit, then you really need to go back to the drawing board. So again, like the to me, the brainer at the highest level, if you level it up from everything we're discussing here, it goes back to that idea of, you know, you've got to be delivering real business benefit and that's job number one when you start to think about what any of these announcements, any of these tools, any of these technologies mean when you start to hear the hype and you put some thought and start to tinker with them and figure out what they really mean for you. Mm. 
You know, uh, and just for the record, picking fights with Elon Musk on Twitter or X is not a business plan. Um, <laughs> all right. So no brainer. Uh, if you're a plus or an enterprise user and you've used GPT for the same task, like three or four, five dozens of times, whatever it might be, like summarize this document, go in there and create your own GPT that does that task. And you can literally just save yourself some time. Maybe it's just a few seconds, maybe it's a few minutes and have this thing ready to go. Um, so, you know, play with this technology. I think it's really uh, the early predecessor, the MP3, if you would, to today's uh, Spotify uh, or Apple Music and, you know, see how it can work for you and make your life a little bit easier and save you a few minutes. Very good. All right. Let's roll on out, my friend. Oh, one more thing. Do Ooh. we want to tease? Oh, we got yeah. Comment yeah. Why don't the we next do that? Episode? Yeah. Why don't we do that? So everybody, we know that chat GPT is turning one year old. We don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we already gave them enough uh, bandwidth today. But what we're going to do is do, uh, it definitely was a crossing the chasm moment, as you like to say, Greg. And uh, we're going to do one year in review, the generative AI boom. Where are we now? All right. Awesome. Do you want to work us out the uh, back end of this podcast or do you want me to uh, do the honors? To subscribe, like, share, write a review for us. And of course, visit nobrainerpodcast.com. If you have any suggestions, we welcome them. If you have feedback, we welcome them. If you want to be our Patreon or a sponsor, we welcome that too. Uh, but all jokes aside with that, number six. Number six. Number six. Number, number six. six. Most popular Jeff marketing AI podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely like and subscribe us. And, you know, we, we do appreciate the help. So do give it out and tell folks uh, about the show. We appreciate you. All right. See you next time. Bye. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Paul Furiga hosts a great podcast called Storylines Live. Paul, tell us what you talk about on the show. The most important story any business owns, it's capital S story. The narrative that answers why someone would buy from, work for, invest in, or partner with that business. In each Storylines Live episode, we explore business storytelling and interview business leaders and marketing experts about their capital S stories. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? Go to wordwriteagency.com forward slash storylines or find the show at marketingpodcast.net or search for Storylines Live wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.